I hope you didn't start Kenneth Farrow last week. I really do. I apologize for recommending Kenneth Farrow. No one is more sorry than me. I started Kenneth Farrow over Brandon Cooks in the Friends of Roto World League, and that caused my demise. I lost by 10 points. If I'd played Brandon Cooks as I should have, as any sane person would, I would have advanced. I caught the Kenneth Farrow fever. Yes. Kenneth Farrow euphoria swept over me, and it couldn't be contained. Kenneth Farrow cost fantasy owners millions of dollars last week across all platforms redraft fantasy daily fantasy hell people in dynasty leagues were starting kenneth farrow over better options whoops riding that momentum play straight into the ground i was part of the problem we had kenneth farrow ranked as a top 10 running back based on opportunity free square running back thrust into an every down all-purpose starting role with an attractive matchup Kenneth Farrow fit the definition of a free square running back perfectly. Based on the formulas that we use to build lineups, Kenneth Farrow was a must play. But Kenneth Farrow's fantasy performance was not even the most horrific event that occurred at the Chargers-Raiders game. No, because a security guard was caught masturbating on the sideline near the cheerleaders. Why that extraneous detail? Why? Isn't it enough that he was masturbating on the sideline? Did it matter that he was close to the cheerleaders in proximity? No! That security guard emotionally assaulted every individual within his periphery. Players, cheerleaders, team staff members, members of the media, everyone. Well, everyone with the exception of Kenneth Farrow. Because no one was masturbating to Kenneth Farrow last Sunday. Whatever the opposite of masturbation is, that's what Kenneth Farrow fantasy owners were participating in during the Raiders-Chargers game. Contact the show at Roto Underworld. Email us, rotounderworld at gmail.com. What is the polar opposite of masturbation? Let us know. Whatever that is, that's what Kenneth Farrow's fantasy owners were up to on Sunday. Not masturbating. No, there's no pleasure in watching Kenneth Farrow. None. Horrific. Kenneth Farrow's fantasy owners collectively lost millions of dollars. Millions! All the while, a security guard had his hands in his pants and was clearly pleasuring himself. But should we be surprised? No. I'm not surprised. We shouldn't be surprised that an employee of the Han Diego Dischargers was fondling himself. Or as I like to call them, the nuts and bolts. We shouldn't be surprised that an employee of the Han Diego Dischargers was fondling himself on the sideline. This is the team that started a running back named Brandon Oliver Closeoff last season. The Chargers even have a tight end on the team. Milf Hunter Henry. It's no surprise that a rogue masturbator was intercepted on the Chargers sideline last week. And now we awkwardly transition to a buzzard message. Buzzard writes in. Milf Hunter Henry. <laughs> Nuts and bolts. <laughs> oh, oh, buzzer 
Mother writes it. San Diego Dischargers. Buzzard writes it. How have you not yet talked about Wendell Williams? Really? Wendell Williams? That's where you're going? Wendell Williams had two receptions on three targets, 34 yards, 5.4 fantasy points. That is exciting. Why is it exciting? Because Wendell Williams is Spider-Man. His best comparable player on playerprofiler.com, Emmanuel Sanders. And that is a close comparison. Except that Wendell Williams was more productive at the college level. He went to Cumberland's, a school that did not have any kind of stadium. Just a few low bleachers. Very, very, very crude football operation they're running over at Cumberland's College. Regardless, Wendell Williams... 50% dominator rating, 30.5 college yards per reception. It was a run-first offense, so he caught only a handful of passes, but when he caught a pass for Cumberland's College, woo, he was gone! Wendell Williams was gone, running a 4-3-2-40 with a 10-46, 99th percentile catch radius. If a 5'11 receiver somehow can manage a 10-46, 99th percentile catch radius, You're required to be excited about him if you listen to Roto Underworld Radio. It's a requirement of listenership. You be excited about Wendell Williams. I'm excited about Wendell Williams. I just added him in all my deep dynasty leagues. He's been added because the upside is there. If Houston gets a quarterback and something happens to Will Fuller, then Wendell Williams could be very fantasy relevant. That's not a huge leap to make. Targeting Wendell Williams in the passing game gives the Texans a better chance to win than targeting Braxton Miller or Jalen Strong. I know that much. In a vacuum, I don't see a big difference between Wendell Williams or Wendell Williams. I don't know if it's Wendell Williams or Wendell Williams. Contact the show at Roto Underworld, rotounderworld at gmail.com. Is it Wendell or Wendell Williams? W-E-N-D-A-L-L. It's an unorthodox way to spell Wendell Wendell, so I don't know. I don't watch these games. I have no idea. I just play them out in my head based on the statistics that we're capturing. Now, I say something would have to happen to Will Fuller for Wendell Williams to be fantasy viable, but he posted only eight less yards than Will Fuller last Sunday on five less targets. More efficient. Just saying. Just just saying. Just saying. Just saying. Just saying. And Tyreek Hill is essentially a young man's Wendall Wendell Williams. Tyreek Hill, also 5'10", 185, with a 1029, 93rd percentile catch radius. Tyreek Hill is a spark freak. Tyreek the freak. Not quite the freak that Wendell Wendall Williams is. So if Wendall Wendell Williams is Spider-Man, Tyreek Hill is... The Green Lantern. It's still good. He's still a superhero. There are very few superheroes in the world. So saying you're the Green Lantern, that's a compliment to Tyreek Hill. What's not a compliment is to compare Tyreek Hill to Corderell Patterson. That's what my friend Anthony Amico, writer for Rotoviz, did. Follow him at Amixta on Twitter. Anthony Amico, keeping it real, telling you what you need to hear. That Tyreek Hill was not productive at the college level. 19.4% college dominator. That's 20th percentile. College yards per reception, 16.4. So he gets downfield and makes plays 
infrequently. That's the Tyreek Hill MO stretching back to his days at West Alabama. Week 14 against Oakland, six receptions, 66 yards. Week 15 against Tennessee, zero receptions. But he had a rushing touchdown. Who does that sound like? Inconsistent weekly production, buoyed by the occasional rushing touchdown. Who does that sound like? Let me think, who does that remind me of? Hmm. Not a dominant college producer, but an electric player on the football field nonetheless. Posting inconsistent weekly fantasy production. Who, can, who does that sound like? Something. Let me think. Let me think. Thinking. Still thinking. Hmm. Yeah. What is 2013 Corderell Patterson? I'm sorry. I'm not sorry. I'm not sorry that I'm not sorry. I'm not sorry. Not sorry. Not sorry. Sorry. Not sorry. Sorry. 2016 Tyreek Hill looks strikingly similar to 2013 Corderell Patterson. Corderell Patterson had an eight-reception game that season, his rookie season. He had another game in which he posted 141 receiving yards, and he had three rushing touchdowns. Who the fuck does that sound like? It sounds exactly like Tyreek Hill, except Tyreek Hill has no games this season with over 100 all-purpose yards. But Tyreek Hill does have a 10-reception game on his resume. Corderell Patterson has never done that. They are similar players nonetheless. Similar speed, burst, college dominator, college yards per reception. Identical. They are identical with the exception of size. Tyreek Hill is a smaller version of Corderell Patterson. All else being equal, I'd rather have the 6'2", 260-pound player over the 5'10", 185-pound player. So when you look at their profiles in a vacuum... Corderell Patterson is the superior prospect. That's why Corderell Patterson was a first-round pick. Tyreek Hill was a fifth-round pick. If Tyreek Hill were 6'2", 215, he could have been a second- or third-round pick. But he's 5'10", 185. He's electric. He's an exciting playmaker. And I believe he's destined to be inconsistent for the remainder of his career. I own him in Dynasty Leagues, and my number one goal this offseason my number one dynasty league goal will be trading Tyreek Hill for a rookie first rounder plus a post-hype sleeper like Brashad Perriman or Devin Funchess. That will be my goal. Can I get both a first rounder and an additional undervalued upside player in the deal? And I think it's possible because some people love Tyreek Hill. They love him. They want the exciting, explosive athleticism. We all do. The workout metrics component of playerprofiler.com is a featured panel on the pages. I love workout metrics too. That's why I own Tyreek Hill in multiple leagues. But I'm also a realist. I also try to be rational. And if you're going to try to be rational and think about what Tyreek Hill is without emotion, without an athleticism bias... Not only does his career utterly lack consistent production, he's trapped on the Chiefs. The Chiefs can support two fantasy viable receivers in the passing game on a weekly basis. You know one is Travis Kelsey. The second one at the moment is Jeremy Macklin. It's not Tyreek Hill. 
Will Jeremy Macklin be back with the Chiefs next year? That's uncertain. But Tyreek Hill will still be competing with Albert Wilson and Chris Conley, two exciting young players. So it's not guaranteed that even if Jeremy Macklin leaves in the offseason, that Tyreek Hill becomes the Chiefs' entrenched number one wide receiver. And even if he is the number one wide receiver, his quarterback is still Alex Smith! So I will be selling Tyreek Hill with no regrets. 2017 Tyreek Hill is, is not going to post a 2015 Allen Robinson season in your face if you trade him in the offseason. That's not going to happen. And now for today's Minion Mindbender. Mindbender, Mindbender, Mindbender. Mindbender, Mindbender, Mindbender. A player I'm more excited about in Dynasty than I am Tyreek Hill is Ty Montgomery. Two ties, different evaluations. I think Ty Montgomery is for real, and he will be the Packers' featured satellite back for years to come, playing an important role in that offense, a high-leverage, high-volume role in that offense. For that reason, I will be buying Ty Montgomery, not selling him in Dynasty this offseason. And the mind-bender, 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 mind-bender. Stat of the day! Ty Montgomery evaded 17 tackles on his way to posting 157 yards after contact in week 15. Let that sink in. And before the buzzards even start writing tweets and emails, I know. I know that Pro Football Focus only charted Ty Montgomery with seven forced missed tackles. And we charted 17 evaded tackles. I know that. And you know what? I like our stat better. Forced missed tackles quantifies the instances in which a running back is in the grasp and breaks through the tackler's grip. That's what a forced missed tackle is. Evaded tackles are different. Our evaded tackles measure any tackle eluded regardless of style. If you use strength and or athleticism to avoid a tackle, whether you're touched or not, that is an evaded tackle on playerprofiler.com. That way, Dion Lewis can have more evaded tackles per touch than someone like Eddie Lacy. The forced missed tackle stat necessarily gives preference to the powerbacks. And in an attempt to break through the powerback fallacy where we assign more credit to the forced missed tackles that create a visceral response when we see them, running backs trucking defenders, that's not the only way a tackle can be avoided. So any eluded tackle, regardless of style, is tracked by playerprofiler.com. That's why I prefer our stat. If I didn't prefer our stat, I would do it a different way. All the stats on playerprofiler.com are engineered to my precise specifications to accurately quantify the event that we're trying to track. In this case, a running back avoiding a tackle. Our definition of an evaded tackle and our methodology for tracking evaded tackles is meant to quantify exactly that. How elusive is that running back? And in my opinion, forced missed tackles does not accurately measure a running back's elusiveness. It also highlights the fact that numerous football efficiency stats are subjective. There is a stylistic bias inherent in many advanced football metrics. And the pro football focus forced missed tackles happens to be constructed in a way that inherently rewards power backs and dilutes the performance of satellite backs. 
That's why I prefer our evaded tackle metric. So I could care less about how many forced missed tackles Ty Montgomery posted last Sunday. What I care about are his evaded tackles. Where the average running back would have been tackled by Defender X, Ty Montgomery somehow, some way eluded that defender and got away and continued to pile up additional yards. Some of them yards after contact. Most of them were yards after contact. It was the fluky performance by a running back of the season, but it was still impressive. It can be both fluky and hugely impressive because you know the Packers coaches were impressed by it. You know that that performance will impact the Green Bay Packers draft day plans in 2017. You know it will. It probably shouldn't, but it will because single events on the football field can have a disproportionate impact on a player's perception. How many times have we talked about that concept on this show? And of course, that will continue to be a theme along with highlighting the differences between player profiler and pro football focus. Because what I'm seeing happening on social media is a contrast in styles. Some fantasy analysts identify more with player profiler. Others identify more with pro football focus. It's a matter of sensibilities. But in player profiler, I believe for the first time, a true counterbalance to pro football focus is emerging. And I'm proud of that. I'm also deeply appreciative of pro football focus. The people at pro football focus are pioneers. And in many cases, they do what they do better than we do what we do. They track some of the same metrics that we track, only they track them in real time and post the results at the end of the game. We don't have the resources to do that yet. A lot of interesting information comes from that pro football focus analysis fountain. We retweet at least one pro football focus related stat per week from the at Roto Underworld Twitter account. The analyst we retweet most often is Pat Thorman. Pat Thorman is one of the best follows on Twitter. Make sure you're following at Pat underscore Thorman. He works for Pro Football Focus exclusively, and he is one of the good guys in the industry. Pro Football Focus in general does great work, and one of their great accomplishments has been introducing advanced football analysis, statistics, and metrics to football enthusiasts. Yards after contact, average depth of target, those are now part of mainstream football lexicon because of Pro Football Focus. We are indebted to them. And we've been tracking yards after contact this season. We've been tracking average depth of target, and we will be rolling out those metrics on the player profiler player pages in 2017 as we continue to rise up and ascend as the counterbalance to pro football focus. Many of the emails we receive are from show listeners and site users who want us to be a counterbalance to pro football focus. They want an alternative. No one wants a monopoly. I think we can say flatly, monopolies in the marketplace are bad. So it's a source of pride that we've become an alternative to pro football focus for the everyday sports fan, for the fantasy writer that might not write for the mainstream platform. Because our goal is to make all the advanced stats and metrics that the casual sports fan and fantasy writers find interesting available on the site and make them affordable. Now, what Player Profiler offers is very different from Pro Football Focus and their signature stats. They have forced missed tackles. We have evaded tackles. We have contested catch rate. They have whatever stat they have that captures receptions and contested situations. I have no idea. There are only tangential similarities between what they call stats and what we call metrics. As I mentioned, with evaded tackles versus forced missed tackles. And I'm sure they have hundreds of stats that we don't have. And that's fine. We are capturing events on the football field that our customers find interesting. And I think Brad Evans talked about this on the show a couple weeks ago. Our mission is to help inform 
all sports fans and fantasy gamers, not just a select few. On the other hand, Pro Football Focus has had an uneven track record when it comes to public data accessibility. While Pro Football Focus did rescind their signature stats from public view for a period of time, they've since reconsidered, and now their signature stats are available to the public once again. For $249 a month. (laughs) (laughs) What? I fell off my chair when I saw that price tag. I did. Literally. It's not figurative. I fell off my chair. I lost my balance and I crumpled to the floor when I saw that. You've got to be kidding me. Almost $3,000 per year? What? No one can afford that. Literally no one. Zero. If you purchased Pro Football Focus for $249 a year, contact the show at Roto Underworld. Email us, rotounderworld at gmail.com. I want to hear from you. How the hell did you afford that? Because it's just weird that you would make a product available that literally no one could ever buy. That's like me posting a pair of my pants on eBay for $2,000. Huh? What? Why? Why would they do that? Public relations, that's why. Pro Football Focus was crushed for months by the public for repealing access to their signature stats. No non-mainstream media or sports team affiliate was able to access the stats that they had relied on as core content to support their analysis, their arguments, their articles. The signature stats were the backbone evidence that was provided by fantasy writers to prove their points. And one day, gone. And what happens when something that you're enjoying is ripped away from you? You feel entitled to that information. You feel entitled to that product. And there's an uproar. Of course. How did they not see that coming? I have no idea how they didn't see it coming, but they didn't see it coming. Well, I know why they didn't see it coming. Hubris. So then crisis management steps in and says, well, what do we do? Well, we'll make it available, but we'll also make it prohibitively expensive. Wink, wink. It's available, guys. We didn't ban you from accessing it. It's available right there. Look, it's almost (laughs) $3,000. But that's a classic PR solution. It's a solution that offends the sensibilities of anyone with common sense, however. Just continuing to discriminate against public use in a transparent way. Teasing the little people. Wouldn't it be nice if you can afford this, huh? Wouldn't it be nice? Oh, yes, 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 yes. You'd love to afford our signature stats, wouldn't you? (laughs) But you can't. I know you can't. No one can. They're much too expensive for you. Oh, but they are available if you're rich. $249 a month for stats is a pretentious price. Come on. I mean, the thing is, I don't think anyone that works at Pro Football Focus would even argue that. That's not an opinion. That's a fact. But pretentiousness can work in some sectors. Sure. Works well for the wine industry. Works well for the luxury car industry. Works well for the yacht industry. But not sports. Sports fans and sports writers will not abide pretension. Look what happens with athletes act pretentious in interviews and press conferences. woo Goodbye. You'll be walking that back in five, four, three, two. Sports fans and sports writers do not abide condescension. You cannot look down on sports fans and sports writers. You can't do it. This is why many football fans do not like Chris Collinsworth. I like Chris Collinsworth because Chris Collinsworth is 
the most informed color commentator, perhaps in all of broadcasting. And regardless of how it's delivered, I want first and foremost quality information. And that's what Chris Collinsworth provides. Phil Sims does not. But more people dislike Chris Collinsworth than dislike the okie-dokie zero-value-add Phil Sims. And I know why. Because Phil Sims is aw shucks. And Chris Collinsworth thinks he knows more about football than you do. And he's right. And you don't care. You're still going to hate him. That's sports. That's why John Gruden is the highest paid employee at ESPN. Because he delivers his analysis enthusiastically and without pretension. So I'm not surprised that Chris Collinsworth is a pro football focus investor. That organization gives off an air of superiority on social media. I don't think anyone would dispute that either. But $249 a month, almost $3,000 a year is a naked affront to the sensibilities of all sports fans, even the pretentious ones like me. That number tells us all we need to know about what pro football focus thinks of the casual sports fan and the non-mainstream sports writer. We don't matter. This was the same feeling that swept over Standard Oil customers over 100 years ago, when Americans felt bullied by the domineering, market-manipulating corporate trusts. So what did they do? They elected Teddy Roosevelt in a populist effort to fight back. It didn't work. Prices of oil didn't suddenly fall after the trusts were broken up, but regardless, people were pissed. And when you have a trust like a railroad or an oil company dominating public land and public resources, they can become entrenched and difficult to compete against. Fortunately, we don't need Teddy Roosevelt. This is 2016. This is the internet age. And if Pro Football Focus wants to operate like a railroad, I don't have a problem with that. Because competition is rolling down the tracks and has arrived at the station. That competition is called PlayerProfiler.com. Now, I say this as an elaborate rationalization for the increasing PlayerProfiler.com subscription fee next year. So when we raise the cost of our premium membership to $85, which is going to include the rankings, it's going to include the lineup genius, it's going to include data analysis, all those features that you were enjoying in 2016, it will also include the cornerback suite, cornerback rankings, cornerback pages on every wide receiver page before every week, you will see the cornerback that he's matching up against and key coverage metrics on that cornerback. And I mentioned earlier, we'll be adding a number of metrics that are available to the public without a subscription, target depth information, information on drops, yards after contact, formation-based efficiency metrics for running backs. So the price is going up, but we will be offering significantly more information. But that doesn't change the fact that the price will be going up. On an individual product basis, the rankings, for example, are going up from $30 to $40 next year. That's just happening. And I'm not sorry about it. I'm not sorry because when you put it in context, it's not expensive. Fantasy Labs charges $720 a year. We're going to be charging $85 for everything. Pro Football Focus charges $3,000 a year. So when you zoom out and you put it in context, you realize, oh, wow, that looks like the best bargain in fantasy football. God, I'm agitated. And I know why I'm agitated. Because this is usually the time in the show when we invite a guest on. And usually it's some high-profile guest. Christopher Harris, Brad Evans, J.J. Zacharyson, Evan Silva. Not this week. We were supposed to have Maurice Jones-Drew on, but the NFL Network fucked me. I have rarely been this angry. 
Most of the time, it's faux outrage. The Cowboys should be starting Tony Romo. I'm outraged. I'm not really outraged. But when we arrange to have Maurice Jones-Drew on the show, and then suddenly, when we go to confirm everything a few days in advance, no response. All the people at NFL Network were so responsive when they asked me to book Aaron Coscarelli. Oh, yeah. Oh, sure. Yeah. Get right back to me immediately. But I need to confirm Maurice Jones-Drew, guys. Crickets. And one of the reasons I am irate is because I should have been more aggressive in my questioning of Aaron Coscarelli, but I wasn't because I perceived her to be a vehicle to getting Maurice Jones-Drew. So I made that one difficult question about sexism in sports broadcasting as gentle as I could possibly make it. And that was a mistake because I shouldn't have assumed that she was a vehicle to anything. I can't believe I promoted her show five different times during that interview. I feel used. I feel dirty. I followed her on Twitter. She didn't follow me back. I promoted her show. She didn't promote my show. And now I don't have my second interview that I asked for on the front end. I am enraged. The NFL Network is the sports media equivalent of a locust storm. They awaken from their nests buried in the mud, ravage the landscape, take what they want, and you never hear from them again. That's how the NFL Network does business. And I know what you're thinking. Maurice Jones-Drew's not even interesting. Maurice Jones-Drew's not even good on television or radio. And I know that. I get it. I don't think he's particularly good. If he wasn't a former player, I'd rather have Dave Damashek. At least he has stories about working with Adam Carolla. Maurice Jones-Drew worked with Chad Henney. But the reason I wanted Maurice Jones-Drew on the show was to ask him questions specifically about the running back position. Questions we've been seeking for years on this show about scheme fit and stylistic bias and athleticism versus je ne sais quoi. Questions only an individual who played the running back position, could answer. That's why it was important for me to get Maurice Jones-Drew on the call, and that's why I laid down for Aaron Coscarelli. I feel so dirty. I feel like a boxer who just fixed a fight, and he realized he's not going to get the title shot he was promised. God, I feel so... I can't scrub this, this slime off my body. I feel so dirty. God damn it! Oh, wait, someone's trying to contact me on Skype right now. I think that's Maurice Jones-Drew. No, that wasn't Maurice Jones-Drew. That was Christopher Harris. He was calling me back to ask me about positional volatility, and I told him I didn't have time to explain the fundamental tenets of Zero RB to him today. So no interview today. But it did get me thinking about Maurice Jones-Drew, and it quickly occurred to me that he is the most overrated fantasy player in my career playing fantasy football. My guess is that Maurice Jones-Drew himself would say that he's a top five running back in fantasy football history. No, he's not. He's not even a top 10 running back in recent fantasy football history. Maurice Jones-Drew only has three seasons of 1,000 rushing yards or more and only two seasons with 50 or more receptions. Yes, he had that one season with more than 15 rushing touchdowns. And yes, he had that one season with more than 1,600 rushing yards. I understand. That happened. Two exceptional seasons. Two. And Melvin Gordon's already halfway to that number. So looking back through recent history, if you want a running back who posted a handful of exceptional seasons of fantasy production, you'd much rather have Sean Alexander. Sean Alexander was a league winner. Maurice Jones-Drew was never a league winner in and of himself. 
And if you zoom out and you look at the careers of fantasy running backs the last 10 years, you'd rather have Curtis Martin. I'd rather have Ricky Waters. I'd rather have Tiki Barber. He was much more active in the passing game than Maurice Jones-Drew. I'd rather have Clinton Portis. You like prolific yardage seasons? Well, then you'd rather have Clinton Portis. I'd rather have Chris Johnson and Ricky Williams and Amon Green. Oh, but Maurice Jones-Drew had a couple seasons where he carried his fantasy teams. So did Larry Johnson. I'd rather have Larry Johnson. I'd rather have Steven Jackson. Look at some running backs that are still in the league. I'd rather have Matt Forte. I'd rather have Frank Gore. I'd rather have Jamal Charles than Maurice Jones-Drew. Maurice Jones-Drew, the most overrated running back in fantasy football history. If you don't believe him, don't ask him. Fuck it, I need to have a conversation with someone to help release this anxiety. But I don't want to talk about next week's games. My only advice for week 16, continue to play Kenneth Farrow. Kenneth Farrow could give you a performance in week 16 worthy of masturbation. He's playing Cleveland. They give up plus 5.9 fantasy points per game above the mean to opposing running backs. And he is the primary back there. Don't expect Melvin Gordon to play. But Kenneth Farrell will be under-owned because he face-planted in epic fashion and lost fantasy gamers around the world millions of dollars in Week 15. So zig another zag and play Kenneth Farrow. He's only $5,000 on DraftKings. And Farrow's only $6,100 on FanDuel. Playing Cleveland. But what if you're fed up with losing money on DraftKings and FanDuel? What do you do then? Get Draft. Go to your app store, type in Draft, download the Draft app. Because on Draft, a higher percentage of players win money than they do on the major DFS platforms because everyone's roster is comprised of unique players. Because Draft leverages the snake draft format to construct rosters, not the salary cap format. So go to your app store, download Draft, and enter the promo code UNDERWORLD to receive a 100% deposit bonus courtesy of Roto Underworld. And if you don't want to construct an entire team, go to the app store and download No Halftime. No Halftime allows you to pick a player like Kenneth Farrow, who most fantasy gamers have already turned against, and play him against a running back facing a stout run defense. That's the move this week on No Halftime. Play Kenneth Farrow against LeGarrette Blunt. And when you download the No Halftime app, make sure you enter the promo code PLAYER100 to receive a deposit bonus from your friends at Roto Underworld Radio. But I don't want to talk about Week 16 and DFS. I want to talk about how Cleveland radio host Tony Rizzo wants to fight all the Cleveland Browns fans that want to throw a parade for the Cleveland Browns if they go 0-16. Because in this way, Tony Rizzo and I share sensibilities. We despise tanking in any form. I object to dynasty leagues that are constructed in a way that reward failure, that incentivize dynasty owners to lose on purpose. You see this all the time in dynasty leagues. Owners losing on purpose to try to get the first overall pick in their rookie draft so they can get Ezekiel Elliott. What percentage of dynasty owners that drafted Ezekiel Elliott as the first overall pick in their rookie drafts were rewarded that pick because they lost on purpose throughout the previous regular season. I bet the percentage is high. Let us know what you think at Roto Underworld on Twitter. So Tony Rizzo and I object to tanking, but Tony Rizzo's methods are quite different than mine. Tony Rizzo is threatening to run people over with a car if they celebrate the Browns going 0-16. Don't believe me? Let's play the sound. If you're one of the people out there that is planning a parade for Owen 16, I will fight you. Come down and see me right now. 
I am at Buffalo Wild Wings. You're going to celebrate my misery for four months? That is the loserest of all loser moves I've ever heard in my life. My God, man, have some pride in yourself. Oh, look, Cleveland's throwing a parade because they lost every game of the season. How stupid is that? How dumb is that? Who thinks that's a good idea? Tone, I don't know. I, no, who thinks that's a good idea? Some people have you're a, a sense you're of a, humor. I don't want you on my team. I don't want you on my team. I want winners, and I want people that want to win. I don't want people that celebrate losing. If you're one of them people that are planning this parade, you better stay the hell away from me, my show, and my family, because I will fight you. You know what? I will do everything in my power to stop that. I will talk to Senator Sherrod Brown, Mayor Frank Jackson. I'll talk to everyone I can. I swear to God. I'll come with the machine. What was the machine, the car they had in Animal House? They eat me, Mobile. I'll be there, and I will mow you down under my tires. I promise that. I promise. If you have that parade, it's going to end ugly. I promise that. <laughs> okay. I think Tony Rizzo about covered the topic of tanking today. He will fight you at Buffalo Wild Wings. <laughs> I do need to talk to someone today about Dynasty League football. The Wendall, Wendell Williams, Tyreek Hill, Corderell Patterson comparison. That's what intrigues me the most. So let's call a fantasy football dynasty league expert. And we can hearken back to the days of the diehards pod. No one better to call right now than Nathan Powell. I just hope he picks up. Yo, what's up, Matt? Hey, man. Yeah. How are you doing? Hey, Matt. Uh, I mean, I wasn't expecting, you know, a Skype call while I was over here at the batting cages, helping my dad's league baseball team out, you know, just chilling over here. I <laughs> uh, wasn't expecting you got a call. What's up, man? I am doing a show, and I wanted to talk to someone about NFL players and fantasy football in particular. You and I did a show for football diehards. I wanted to do a flashback show, flashback to the diehards. And maybe if you can leave the batting cages, though, I can hear those bats in the background. Can you step outside? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm going to go go and, uh, you know, just go, go in the uh, pro shop and maybe look at some, uh, you know, golf gloves or something. Okay, we'll stand by. <laughs> all right, Matt, I'm, I'm away from, from the batting cages. All the kids are, are hitting their balls. And uh, I'm over here in the shop, and I'm ready to answer some questions. Yes. On the fly, no show sheet, unprepared. Nathan Powell doesn't care. He's ready to take on my questions. My first question for Nathan Powell. On the phone, out of the blue, was Maurice Jones-Drew largely overrated in fantasy football? Well, Matt, as many of my followers know, I am generally one of the younger fantasy footballers, fantasy writers in the industry. So I kind of grew up in the Jones-Drew is elite's era. Uh, I think that he is very much not underrated as a fantasy asset. If we're going to talk about 
his career after football, which is as a fantasy analyst, that's a whole different issue, and he's probably really bad at that. <laughs> no, strictly as a player, as a fantasy asset, was he overrated? Recalling what I can, uh, he did have his time as, you know, a bit of like the Kristen Michael of sorts sitting behind Fred Taylor. But once Fred Taylor retired, the version of Martian, Marshawn Lynch from the future, once Fred Taylor retired, uh, Maurice Jones-Drew blossomed into a top five fantasy running back who drafted himself in fantasy every year. So, I mean, he was good on the football field. I'm, I'm not sure where this overrated narrative is coming from. Oh, those three seasons with more than a thousand yards rushing? <laughs> Ooh, yeah, yeah, those three seasons, yeah. Nice longevity, MJD. Yeah, if MJD was a dynasty asset, people were rather upset that they took him in the, the top couple rounds of, of dynasty startups. Oh, he had some double-digit touchdown seasons as a member of a timeshare, which was impressive. He had one season with more than 60 receptions. People think of him as this all-purpose back, really one season as a featured weapon in the passing game. And then he had a handful of seasons with more than 1,000 yards as the feature back, and then nothing. I'd rather have Matt Forte. Oh, for sure. I mean, Matt, Matt Forte is what Jones Drew was supposed to be before he you know, ran off his wheels. So Forte, much more longevity. When people think of Maurice Jones-Drew, they think of him as one of the elite fantasy football running backs of all time, and he's nothing close to that. He thinks he's that, and he's nothing close to that. As a fantasy asset, though, he's not as overrated as the former number one wide receiver for the Carolina Panthers, the player that we talked about on multiple shows over the summer on the Die Hards pod. You and I agreed wholeheartedly that Kelvin Benjamin was the most overrated wide receiver in all of fantasy, that his ADP was the most fraudulent of any player, not just wide receiver, of any player in the player pool. Kelvin Benjamin's ADP slot was the most fraudulent. Now, Kelvin Benjamin, the last four games for Kelvin Benjamin, two receptions, two receptions, one reception, two receptions. What do you think of that, Nathan Powell? Well, as I've always thought, uh, Kelvin Benjamin is not good. Uh, I think that, you know, after those first two games, and I'll, I'll spin this back to you, were you a little shaking in your boots a little after those first two games where he was actually, you know, like a top 10 fantasy wide receiver? Like, oh, maybe I was, you know, pouring it, pouring it too much on the Benjamin is terrible narrative. What were your thoughts after those first two games? Yeah, 21.1 points against Denver and then 29.8 points against San Francisco. But... He was only efficient in that one game against San Francisco, and everyone is efficient against San Francisco. I was mildly trepidatious after the first two games, but Kelvin Benjamin bailed us all out with a zero in week three, and week three was an exhale zero where I thought, okay, okay, he's back. He's back, everybody. This is the real Kelvin Benjamin. The moment he posted a zero, I felt completely comfortable in my position that he was the most overrated fantasy asset heading into 2016 and we've been rewarded with predominantly pukey performances throughout the season yeah i definitely agree with you as far as he he's he's really bad and as far as you know his future from a dynasty perspective i think that because he was a first round pick because of his early career success at least from an nfl perspective he's going to end up getting a second contract somewhere whether it's with carolina or elsewhere but he's never going to be a guy that you're going to be able to rely on in fantasy from a dynasty perspective he shouldn't be going in the top 10 rounds of your dynasty startup i don't care how much you loved him in your rookie year or how, however it may be 
he's just really bad and is not going to be reliable from a fantasy perspective. He'll be on an NFL team, but he'll be one of those guys that, okay, yeah, I know he's on an NFL team, but I don't want anything to do with him fantasy. You talk a lot about draft capital, and Kelvin Benjamin exemplifies the value of draft capital. A wide receiver with his talent profile may have never seen the field in his entire career if he were a seventh-round draft pick and had to win a position in the starting lineup based on merit. But Kelvin Benjamin was thrust into the starting lineup because he was a first-round pick, and that is the only reason he's on that list with Nelson Aguilar and others that were starters based on draft capital alone. And even this year, after establishing that he was one of the least efficient wide receivers in the league, he still has five games on the 2016 game log with nine or more targets, even if he's converting 50% or less of those targets into catches. They continue to feed him because of perception, not reality. And that's the great value of draft capital is it gives you that nitrous boost as a player when you enter the league. And some players, like Devontae Adams, can overcome the challenges earlier in their career. And finally, in year three, capitalize on their position in the starting lineup, getting starter snaps with a quarterback like Aaron Rodgers. Marquise Lee, same thing in Jacksonville. Because they were first and second round picks, they were afforded the opportunity to struggle for multiple years before finally ascending to fantasy viability in year three. Guys like us who didn't like Benjamin, people will point to, well, you like Devin Funches. And yes, Devin Funches hasn't done much in, in his second year in the NFL. He, he's had you know a couple decent games, but he hasn't done much. But I'm kind of tired of people pointing to my misses on a pro just to disregard the fact that I was right on a con that Kelvin Benjamin is not good. You're not even wrong yet on Devin Funches. Think about the people that liked Devontae Adams last year. Think about the people that liked Marquise Lee last year. They ended up being right once those players were given an opportunity in year three to produce once they were fully seasoned. Devin Funches is 22 years old. Still plenty of time for him to break out. Absolutely. And, you know, going back to the draft capital, it's that... You know, when you have a, you know, top 100 type draft pick, they're going to get those opportunities to fail, to not have great games. And then in their second, third years, they're going to have the opportunities to, you know, succeed after failing. Whereas, you know, guys like Jeff Janis and all these later round picks, they don't really get that opportunity to fail because once they fail, they're out of the league. And so when we look at a Demonte Adams, a Devin Funchess, they're, they're guys that we shouldn't write off as soon as they, you know, have a drop or have a down season because teams are dedicated to getting their early round picks right. And Devontae Adams, like you mentioned, is a perfect example of that. The Packers did not want to fail on Devontae Adams because they spent such a high capital on him. They had take lock on their own player. Exactly. So, I mean, the, the Packers themselves became Devontae Adams truthers and <laughs> target him at... <laughs> <laughs> Let's keep guessing. Yeah, so they became truthers on their own player, and it actually helped because he got healthy and he ended up producing at at a nice level for for them as a wide receiver, too, putting Randall Cobb as not even fantasy viable whatsoever as the wide receiver three in that offense. Players with high round draft capital have to prove they can't play. Players without high round draft capital have to prove they can play. And not only prove they can play, prove they can play consistently because one mistake and they lose their role in the offense. Look at Jeff Janis. One drop. One! 
one drop on a deep pass in a high-profile game that was featured on SportsCenter, unfortunately. And we haven't seen Jeff Janis line up as a wide receiver since. All he has on his resume since that drop is a rushing touchdown. Of course, they handed him the ball and he went and scored a touchdown because that's what Jeff Janis does. Anyway, we talked about Devontae Adams. We can never talk about the Packers without talking about Jeff Janis, but I also want to talk about Ty Montgomery. Has Ty Montgomery established himself as a top 30 dynasty running back? See, there are a lot of people in the nice community that are kind of just writing off, oh, Montgomery, you know, he's had a couple of good games, and the Packers are going to draft a running back in the top four rounds. And in all likelihood, I agree with them that that the Packers are going to end up drafting a running back in the top four rounds. Okay. But I'm kind of targeting Montgomery on the cheap. On the rare chance that they don't end up investing at the running back position, then they're going to the, – this. <clears throat> the stock market of Ty Montgomery is going to skyrocket. People are like, oh my God, the Packers didn't invest at the running back position, and Ty Montgomery's now the RB1 on Aaron Rodgers' offense. So are the chances that Ty Montgomery's long-term asset, they're kind of slim, but there's the chance that in six months from now, his stock absolutely skyrockets simply on the fact that the Packers don't invest at RB. Well, even if they do invest in running back, what if they invest a third-round pick like the Lions did in Amir Abdullah? Well, that's fine. Because Ty Montgomery is theoretic 2.0, and he can have a role in the offense, a high leverage role that scores a lot of fantasy points in an offense that also has a new third round pick running back featured. Ty Montgomery, as you saw last week, can be a fantasy viable asset without receiving workhorse level touches because he's a tremendous playmaker out of the backfield. When we moved Ty Montgomery on playerprofiler.com, from wide receiver to running back. Do you know what happened to his percentile ranks across all those workout metrics when we started comparing Ty Montgomery to other running backs as opposed to other wide receivers? What do you think happened to that case, Nathan Powell? I'm going to go ahead and say that the numbers shot up a little bit. Bing, 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 bing. He went from 40th percentile to 80th percentile in some metrics. The wide receiver position is stocked with some of the league's best athletes. The best athletes do not become running backs. They become running backs because they flame out as wide receivers. CCJ Procise. So now as a running back, what was one of the more underwhelming wide receivers of the 2015 draft class has become one of the most exciting electric running backs in the NFL a bigger, better version of Theoretic. He's not going anywhere. And if you can get him in dynasty leagues, particularly PPR dynasty leagues, push the button. So every season we, we have a variety of mock draftables come up where people try and move guys to certain positions. The spider charts. The spider charts come up. The spider, yes. Ah, the spider charts. Oh, oh. One example is Logan Thomas. People put his mock draftable chart as a tight end, and his comparables were like Rob Gronkowski, Jimmy oh. Graham, Greg Olson, like all the greatest tight ends ever. Logan Thomas is going to be a great tight end if they ever move him there. And one of those examples would be Ty Montgomery. You know, you put up his spider chart as a running back, and people are like, oh, look at all these great comparables as a running back that he has. And I kind of, you know – put it to side as, oh, this is just fantasy Twitter doing what they always do, you know, wishing upon wishing of things that will never happen. But here we are in 2016, and Ty Montgomery is a running back. Uh, Mike, Mike McCarthy took like six weeks for us to say, oh, yeah, by the way, I forgot to tell you guys, Ty Montgomery, he's a running back now. 
so, so now that he's a running back, he's a much more attractive fantasy asset. And the fact that he's done so well in the backfield, you know, he, he hasn't had too many great games. He had the one big game against Chicago last week. The flukiest game of the year. Exactly. And the thing is, is that in most scenarios, that type of game skyrockets a guy's stock to where he becomes unviable in Dynasty. That's right. But right now, he's still viable because people are, are not really buying the transition. They, they don't understand that Ty Montgomery was a running back prospect who people mistaked as a wide receiver prospect. If Ty Montgomery entered the NFL as a running back, then he'd be a top 20 dynasty running back right now. But I'm just not sure he'll get the opportunity to produce at that level long term. Nathan. Yes, Matt Kelly. For all the wrong calls that these draft Knicks make, all the silly predictions and generic, unfalsifiable gibberish analysis that they tweet out and write on a daily basis, for all their mistakes, they got one right. They nailed Ty Montgomery two years ago. We need to give a round of applause to the DraftNet community. Good job. Good job. Now, that was a great job. You did it. You got one. You got one. You had to eventually. They nailed it all different ways. Prescient prediction that Ty Montgomery would be better as a running back than he would be as a wide receiver at the NFL level. Congratulations, Draft Knicks. You're now one for a million. <laughs> Another player the Draft Knicks don't like, Leonard Fournette. Leonard Fournette and Christian McCaffrey will be sitting out their bowl games. I think all the college players that are projected to be drafted in the first round should sit out their bowl games and or BCS games. What do you think? Okay, this has definitely been the hot topic over the last week on draft Twitter, every sorts of Twitter. And my take on this situation is that, A, it's bad for college football, but I don't think players should give a shit. There you go. So, uh, yeah. I mean, I, I think that with, you know, McCaffrey and with Fournette sitting out, it, it's the right move and players are going to follow in their footsteps and there are going to be players that don't know what they're doing. Shock Linwood is also sitting out. Who's that? Uh, exactly. Shock Linwood has no business uh, sitting out his bowl game. Wait, delusional players <laughs> are going to start to sit out bowl games. That is hilarious. I love that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, like I said, there's 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 two ways to look at this. From a college football perspective, it's kind of oh, now that Fournette's sitting out his bowl game, what's going to happen next? Is player X is uh, Darius Geis going to start sitting out in week six next year? Ooh. If it gets to that type of extreme, we're going to start worrying about it as like a college football fan. Might have to start paying the players. <laughs> That's never going to happen. But uh, in, in reality, I, I think it really doesn't matter from from an NFL draft perspective. I, I don't think that this is going to impact their stock uh, whatsoever. I, I think that, you know, it, it's whatever happens in the future college football is what it is. But as far as Fournette and McCaffrey's draft stock, I don't think it's impacted at all from them sitting out. On Monday Night Football, we saw Jordan Reed ejected for punching another player in the face mask. Was that the stupidest play in the history of football? Is Jordan Reed just an idiot? Yes, he, he is. Uh, punching a guy with a helmet on, uh, you're hurting yourself. You're not hurting the other guy. I didn't quite understand that. Um, my, my dad, he, uh, he lost his fantasy matchup, but on the one Jordan Reed catch, he's like, why couldn't he have punched him like two minutes earlier? <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. Your dad is Mike Clay. <laughs> Basically, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
So we're to believe that Jordan Reed has no common sense whatsoever. I like to give players the benefit of the doubt, especially players getting an 80 violent collisions per game. That's what they do for a living. And Jordan Reed has a history of concussions. And I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt that he wasn't thinking clearly after not only suffering through numerous concussions in his career. Also, we don't know what they gave him before the game so that he could play with the injured shoulder, tore it all, whatever. I will give him the benefit of the doubt that he wasn't in his right mind. And instead of talking about what an idiot he was, because I don't believe he's an idiot, we should be talking about the fact that he shouldn't have been out there, that Jordan Reed was the last player in the NFL that should have been playing last weekend. Julio Jones was a game-time decision, and he chose not to play, and I applaud him for not playing. But we saw with Calvin Johnson, recently interviewed, Calvin Johnson implied that the injuries to his ankle and knee are still not fully healed, and that because he played hurt, it shortened his career. My solution would be to abolish the game-time decision, and if a player's body cannot make it through a full practice on Friday, that they shouldn't be able to play. Period. That should just be a rule. That way, players can't be heroes on Sunday and or coerced by their coaches or team doctors into playing, quote unquote, for their teammates. Whether it's Christian McCaffrey and Leonard Fournette or it's Julio Jones and Jordan Reed, we're seeing a lot of be a good teammate Twitter. This is what good teammates do. They play in the bowl game for their teammates. Players like Julio Jones should play as decoys for their teammates. My guess is the people running the good teammate hashtags never played football. Well, uh, I mean, I, I played football when I was young, but that, uh, when I was nine, ten years old, but that's, that was pretty much it. And did they have a game time decision in your league, Nathan, when you were nine? Uh, <laughs> they, was there a game time decision that they gave the nine year olds? Uh, no, nine year olds. If you couldn't practice on Thursday, you were not playing on Saturday. Exactly. Were there high ankle sprains that they were playing through with Toradol? <laughs> no, Toradol needed for the little leaguers. <laughs> <laughs> but you agree with me. The game time decision should be abolished because. It's in everyone's best interest, from the players, the opposing coaches, the broadcasters, the fans, the fantasy gamers. We would all benefit from the abolishment of the game-time decision. You agree? Absolutely, I agree with that. And I think that Julio Jones, he's doing his part into abolishing the game-time decision because last week, in the heart of the fantasy playoffs, he flat-out said on Wednesday, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm not playing, like— you just, I mean, yes, you want him in your fantasy playoffs, but as a fantasy gamer, I, I just had a sigh of relief. Okay, I don't have to worry about Julio. He said he's out on Wednesday, so he's definitely not playing on Sunday. And I think that de definitely players are just putting themselves at risk by you know making that decision at 1130. If you can't practice on Thursday, Friday, you shouldn't be able to decide on Sunday, oh, you know, I, I can go and, you know, get in. You know, people talk about how, you know, an NFL hit is the equivalent to a car wreck. Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to go out and have like 10 NFL car wrecks today. You, obviously, you can't do that if you're injured. And, you know, Julio Jones did that by claiming himself out early in the week. And you put yourself at more risk when you're running around out there at less than 100%. You're not as able to avoid the big collisions as someone who's closer to 100% would be. 
But it is an interesting dilemma that a dynasty owner would have. Would you rather have Julio Jones for more years or would you rather have him playing hurt? That's really a decision that Julio Jones and his family and his agent would weigh and his dynasty owners. Those are the only people that would think in those terms. The fascinating alignment of the interests of the player with the interests of his dynasty league owners. Now, last week, we also had Gus Bradley fired mercifully. It unleashed a flood of jokes. People mocking Gus Bradley for his losing record, the second most losingest coach in NFL history. I object to the coach worship all the time, attributing player performance to the coach. And if I'm going to object to the coach worship, I also have to object to the coach crucifixion. In the case of Gus Bradley, are you sure that he stinks? As an NFL head coach, based on his resume, I'm fairly certain that Gus Bradley is really bad and he stinks. But the one thing that I kind of want to bring up in regards to the the head coach conversation is that we really need to evaluate what a head coach is. I don't think a head coach is an actual coach. I think that a head coach is a mouthpiece for the organization, a guy who gets the guys hyped up on, you know, on, on Saturdays and Sundays. And he's a guy who basically just holds the organization together, at least on the field. And so, yes, Gus Bradley has failed miserably at that. But if we're going to talk about, you know, Gus Bradley trying to get a defensive coordinator job, his success with Seattle has shown that he's a very good defensive coordinator. Maybe as you've talked about coach worship, maybe that's all a result of the great defense that Seattle had while Gus Bradley was there. But if we're going to, you know, correlate, it's impossible to detangle the player's ability from the coach unless you have a sample set that spans a decade like with Belichick. But I agree, the skill set that's required in the head administrator, which is the head coach, is much different than the skill set of a coordinator, yet head coaching hiring only pulls from those two pools, the offensive coordinator and the defensive coordinator. I'd love to see a franchise one day change the entire paradigm and hire a head coach not from the coordinator ranks, number one. And number two, because they're not hiring a coach from the coordinator ranks who is locked into this career path that the end goal for my career is head coach of a football team and the latter is very structured, here's the path to getting to that goal. I'd love for an organization to change the game and pay their coordinators more while hiring a head coach from a different pool of talent, one that better aligns with their tasks, morale, in-game decision-making. These are the things that Dick Vermeil was great at. When I think of head coach, my number one priority would be morale builder and not losing games because of clock mismanagement or fourth down mismanagement. If you can get the clock right and you can get the fourth down decisions right, and you can keep morale high, that's a successful head coach, and you don't need to be a coordinator to do that. Right, and then the one thing to consider is that does Gus Bradley have the worst head coaching percentage in NFL history if his quarterbacks aren't Blake Bortles and Chad Henney? I mean, the the relationship of the head coach and the quarterback— And the youngest defense in the league. Right, exactly, but I think honestly that the success of a head coach— is directly related to the success of his quarterback. And if if you're... 
the quality of the quarterback and the quality of the supporting cast, but the quarterback most notably. Exactly, yeah. I mean, it, basically, if you draft a bust like Blake Bortles, it's going to cost you your job. You, you, you notice that Gus Bradley, he held on to his job for so long, you know, a, a period of time that Jaguars fans like, why didn't we fire this guy three years ago? Well, we you, you fired him after you gave him the opportunity to, to get his quarterback and his quarterback failed miserably. That's kind of the life cycle of an NFL head coach. First, you you take over whatever quarterback is left when you when you join there. Then you get a quarterback, and if your quarterback fails, then you fail. If your quarterback succeeds, then you succeed. It, it's really just that simple. And Blake Bortles failed, Gus Bradley failed, and now they're on to the next one. That's interesting. The Jaguars' handling of Gus Bradley was optimal. The suboptimal move for an organization is to fire the coach a year earlier before he's had a chance to prove himself. The Jacksonville Jaguars, in their handling of Gus Bradley, did it the right way. They gave him a fair amount of time in the position, a wide berth, an opportunity to succeed. They gave him so long that he ended up posting the second worst win percentage of any coach in NFL history. And I don't say that to mock him. I say that to praise the way Jacksonville hires and fires its personnel. Okay, enough chit-chat. The reason I brought you on is List Radio. And not just List Radio. Dynasty List Radio. Yes, yes. Speaking of the Jaguars... I want Nathan Powell to give us five dynasty bylows who were betrayed in 2016 by their situation, by dreadful circumstances. Good players that were trapped in bad circumstances in 2016 that you think will rebound in 2017. All right, here we go. This is kind of an interesting question because of the way, you know, 2016 has gone where, you know, usually... The, the thing I, I've preached throughout the 20, 2016 offseason, pretty much throughout every offseason throughout I've been talking about fantasy football, it's that the top, the elite wide receivers are quarterback proof. And the 2016 season has shown that they are absolutely not. At least they haven't been this season. So my buy lows kind of center all around, you know, top players that have been pretty much destroyed by the situations around them. Uh, number one is Allen Robinson uh, from the Jacksonville Jaguars. He has been absolutely destroyed by Blake Bortles. The unfortunate thing for Robinson as a buy low, yes, you know, he is an optimal, you know, go out and try and buy him in January, February, March. But it's kind of like, I'm not sure when he's actually going to come out of this buy low scenario because there's a chance that he's just as bad next year. But with Robinson, we have to hope that Jacksonville maybe drafts a quarterback or gets a free agent quarterback, whatever it may be. And Allen Robinson comes and returns to what we saw in 2015 and for me, I'm, I'm just, you know, buying low on him because I, I love what I saw throughout his career before this season. And I think that this is more of just a case of Blake Bortles is just that bad. Not that Allen Robinson was a fluke in 2015. Four straight seasons of high-end productivity and efficiency from Allen Robinson. And then this year, what happened? He was demoralized, Nathan. This wasn't physical. I believe Allen Robinson has finally reached his breaking point and he has mentally short-circuited how do i know that look at the catch rate 46.8 percent 97th in the league that is uncharacteristic of Allen robinson who throughout his career has been one of the strongest players at the catch point since going back to his days at penn state now look at his profile on playerprofiler.com the catch rate is under 50 percent now look at the contested catch rate on 26 contested targets Allen Robinson has a 50% catch rate. That's 15th in the NFL. 
He's converting contested catches, but he's not converting the catches that are uncatchable. And he's dropping some passes because he's demoralized. That's what's happened to Allen Robinson. And I agree with you. He's the number one bounce back candidate for 2017. And he's someone I will be targeting in Dynasty. I like to buy high, sell low in most cases. But in the case of Allen Robinson, I will be buying low. Next on the list would be Alshon Jeffrey. Uh, he's a player who has certainly had a poor year with uh, uh, Jay Cutler, a quarterback, and then transitioning into the Matt Barkley era in Chicago. Alshon Jeffrey did have the PED suspension, which kind of you know put put a damper on, on his season overall, just even with his poor play. So for me, you know, going into Week 15, I was a little bit worried about you know you, you know you like to buy low on players and you buy low on players and you're like, should I really be buying low on this player? And I, I, I was beginning yes. to worry about Alshon Jeffrey prior to his fourth quarter, you know, 21-point outburst. I was like, oh, no, this is going wrong for Alshon Jeffrey. But in respect, that was just craziness to even worry about it. Alshon Jeffrey is one of the top 10 wide receivers in the NFL. He was in a situation with Jay Cutler, who is absolutely terrible and has no bu- toxic, no business starting any more NFL games in his career. If Matt Barkley, who has no business being in the NFL either, can come into your situation and do much better than you are, That just shows how bad you are. Whoa, 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 whoa. Matt Barkley almost threw for 400 yards last weekend. Let's slow down dismissing Matt Barkley. He may not be awful. Okay, he may not be awful. I'll I'll give you that. But still, Alshon Jeffrey, he's... You know, he actually looked really good, you know, in that fourth quarter with the Chicago Bears. And, he did. And with Matt Barkley at the helm. Uh, I'm going to go – I mean, I'm not dismissing Matt Barkley. Don't don't, get, don't worry. But I'm going to go out on a limb and say 2017 week one, the Chicago Bears have a better quarterback than Matt Barkley uh, starting. So w- with that being the case, Alshon Jeffrey is a guy that's going to be primed to be, you know, one of those guys that goes like in that third round of, of redraft and MFL 10s who's going to be a huge value, you know, as, as a top 10 uh, fantasy wide receiver. Alshon Jeffrey's averaging over 70 yards per game. Can you believe that? <laughs> that's, that's pretty crazy considering how much shade he's gotten. That is the shock stat of the year. Alshon Jeffrey over 70 yards per game. His contested catch rate, 72.7%. That's top five in the NFL. Betrayed by the low catch rate, which can be partially attributed to highly inaccurate quarterback play and a general demoralization which happens when you're playing on the bears just like if you're playing on the jaguars so we can copy and paste the same analysis from Allen robinson over to alshon jeffrey and similarly with with number three on this list you can do copy and paste once again to deandre hopkins who he was much more of a buy low last week because people just saw when you take out brock osweiler and his misspelled tattoo, and you insert literally anybody else. <laughs> What's the tattoo? Oh, yeah. It says, live life to its fullest. It's is spelled I-T apostrophe S. <laughs> so when, when you remove the bad tattoo art from Brock Osweiler, <laughs> and you insert Tom Savage. Great name, by the way. That's a Friday Night Lights quarterback name. Absolutely. And Tom Savage... He does what would make sense when you have one of the best receivers in the NFL. He gives DeAndre Hopkins his highest target game of the season. I I just don't understand how Brock Osler could go an entire season without heavily targeting DeAndre Hopkins. And it cost him his job. And now Tom Savage is the starter. And I'm not saying that Tom Savage is the 2017 starter. And I hope he isn't, to be honest. I hope it's somebody else. 
like with uh, the the Chicago scenario that I hope it's a player to be named later starting week 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 one 2017. Tom Savage is barely a functional quarterback. He's not a starting caliber quarterback in the league. I'm going to give Matt Barkley the benefit of the doubt, say that Matt Barkley is still TBD, but I'm not ready to say that Tom Savage is TBD. I still have Tom Savage marked down as a career backup. Right, but you have to give Savage the benefit of the doubt because he's at least smart enough to target DeAndre Hopkins, something that Brock Osweiler is not. And so I, I think that DeAndre Hopkins returns to – he was one of the most targeted receivers in the NFL in 2015. I think he returns to that, to that pace in 2017. So while you might have been disappointed by his performance in 2016, just look at the target numbers, look at you know the poor play from the quarterback, and it's easy to, to, to write a story that he'll be a top wide receiver in 2017. In 2017, he'll just be turning 25 years old. He'll be entering the uber, uber, uber prime of his career. And DeAndre Hopkins is the cheat code. If you throw the ball in DeAndre Hopkins' direction, somewhere in his area code, he will convert that catch. DeAndre Hopkins' catch radius of 9.99 on playerprofiler.com, which is 47th percentile, is the most misleading of all catch radiuses on the site. Because he can catch balls with his fingertips, it's actually much wider than that. Who's number four? Number four is a guy who I think you'll disagree with here, but it's Todd Gurley. Uh, you know, he, he's had an absolutely miserable uh, season uh, in his second season in the NFL. But I'm attributing that all to the terribleness that is Jeff Fisher. We just finished talking about a terrible coach in Gus Bradley. Well, Jeff Fisher has the he's tied for the most losses in NFL history, and he ruined Todd Gurley's career in all of one year. So with, with Todd Gurley, I, I think that people kind of are saying, "Oh, the Rams' offense is so bad that you know it's not even going to matter what Todd Gurley's skill set is." Oh, and Todd Gurley hasn't had a hundred yard game in 16 games. He's Trent Richardson 2.0. I think that's lazy analysis. I think that we can pen this on the fact that the Rams' offense has just been that bad. And people think after two, three games of Jared Goff, oh, Jared Goff is terrible. Could Jared Goff be terrible? Maybe. But I think that writing him off after two, three games might be a bit misleading. And I think that, you know, I, I still like Jared Goff as a prospect. So if he ends up being, at the very least, an average NFL quarterback in 2017, that leads to Todd Gurley returning to top five RB form. No, I agree with you. Many PlayerProfiler.com subscribers are surprised that I still have Todd Gurley ranked ahead of Melvin Gordon on our Dynasty rankings. PlayerProfiler.com forward slash player dash rankings to see those rankings. I have Todd Gurley at four. I have Melvin Gordon at five. Why is that? Because Todd Gurley's having Melvin Gordon's 2015 season now. And Melvin Gordon's having Todd Gurley's 2015 season now. Their career production at the NFL level is very similar. Just flip their seasons and they're equivalent. Recency bias will lead fantasy gamers to overpay for Melvin Gordon this offseason and likewise sell low on a player that they should be holding in Todd Gurley. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm, I'm on the train of buying Todd Gurley. And honestly, you know, people always talk about, you know, their buy lows. And when their buy lows continue to struggle after you call them buy lows, oh, no, maybe I'm wrong. No, when your buy lows struggle, that just means your buy low is getting cheaper. And you have to have conviction. And it's easy to have conviction in someone like Todd Gurley, who's an explosive playmaker. The metrics show that. And that's obvious to the eye. Absolutely. I, I mean, I, I think that he's going to be an easy redraft by a guy, you know, maybe fourth, fifth round. It's going to be very easy to buy him there. And then as far as Dynasty, a guy that you can 
people are going to be having rookie fever. You know, people are going to be all about the rookie fever, especially with these. No. With the tw- never. With the twenty seven. Never. With the twenty seventeen draft class, you might be able to get Todd Gurley for like the one hundred four in rookie drafts. Like, how insane is that? That a guy who went one hundred one in his own rookie draft had an amazing rookie season. You might be able to buy that guy a year later for just like the one hundred four. Like, I- I'm very much looking forward to the buy Todd Gurley train and especially selling him. Woo. I mean, buying him for the price of a rookie pick. Do, do, do. We should do a train sound effect. Do, do. Get on that Todd Gurley Bilo train. Who's number five? Number five uh, is a guy that I know you will uh, agree with. There's one thing in fantasy football that I don't quite understand. It's that when we expect something of somebody, like if we expect a player to have a poor season and they have a poor season, for some reason we have to buy low on them. Josh Doxson is a guy who was injured and behind on the depth chart in Washington, and we knew, okay, this guy's not going to do a damn thing in his rookie season. Okay, we fast forward, you know, 15, 16 weeks, and guess what? Josh Doxson hasn't done a damn thing in his rookie season. But for some reason, he's cheaper, even though we knew this was going to happen. So I like Josh Doxson a lot. You know, there's definitely room for, you know, Deshaun Jackson could leave, Pierre Garçon could leave. Oh, that situation is going to be so good for Josh Doxson in 2017. And Jamison Crowder compliments him perfectly when you look at size and skill set. Right. And it's not like that running game is getting any better. Washington is going to be that pass heavy type team. When you have a Doxson and a, and a Crowder, these are two guys that are going to be, you know, putting up fantasy points in 2017 at, you know, with, with very high skill. And Doxson is the guy that's going to be the, the, the red zone target. If Jordan Reed continues to get concussions, they literally won't have another red zone option. So I, I like Doxson a lot as a guy that's going to be a big t- touchdown target in 2017. No, I still have Crowder ahead of Doxon because Crowder has established himself as a WR2 level fantasy producer in the NFL. Josh Doxon has not done that yet, and I prefer proven performers. Also, even though Jamison Crowder was in a previous draft class, he's actually younger than Josh Doxon by over a year. So for multiple reasons, I have Jamison Crowder ranked ahead of Josh Doxon, and, and that's fine. We like both Emmanuel Sanders and Demarius Thomas at one point. We like both Jamison Crowder and Josh Doxon. One of the reasons why is because we also like Kirk Cousins and we like high-volume offenses, and I don't think that the lost season from Josh Doxon is in any way comparable to the lost season of Laquan Treadwell. Laquan Treadwell didn't get hurt. Laquan Treadwell just couldn't play this year, period. They couldn't have him out there. He wasn't competent on the football field. We can explain Josh Doxson's lack of performance, lack of production in 2016. He was hurt. You can't just explain away the lack of production from Laquan Treadwell. And when you look at their profiles, Josh Doxson was not only more prolific at the college level, but he's a much more explosive athlete than Laquan Treadwell. So we're going to see in the offseason in Dynasty Circles the comparison of Laquan Treadwell and Josh Doxson, and we'll see false equivalencies made. Right. I mean, there's a clear difference between uh, being hurt and being behind the depth chart on Deshaun Jackson and Pierre Garçon and not being able to be out Adam Thielen on the depth chart. Uh, As a guy who loved Laquan Treadwell more than just about anybody, and and I still like him a a good bit, but it's hard for me to make excuses for not being able to beat out Adam Thielen on depth chart. It's very disappointing, you know, from his rookie season. So I think that 
you know, when when they, when you make excuses for rookies, it's a lot easier to make the excuse for for Doxson than it is for Treadwell. I'm impressed, Nathan. I'm impressed that I thought you might have Laquan Treadwell on this list, and I was impressed to see that he wasn't on there, that you are a realist with Laquan Treadwell. So golf clap for you. Golf clapped earlier for draft Knicks. Golf clap for Nathan Powell's realism. By the way, we're talking mostly about wide receivers today because you need to win the wide receiver position to win your fantasy league. I understand David Johnson's great. I understand Le'Veon Bell's great. But our primary focus still is winning the wide receiver position. And based on that, I was surprised you didn't have a Brown on your list. Neither Corey Coleman nor Terrell Pryor. And those are my 1A and 1B dynasty by lows based on a failed situation in 2016. I mean, when your quarterbacks are some unholy combination of Cody Kessler, Robert Griffin III, and Josh McCown, when you're hoping and praying, when you're holding vigil that Josh McCown is going to be able to play, when that's the situation you find yourself in, you've been betrayed by your situation. And that was the case with Corey Coleman, and that was the case with Terrell Pryor. I'm incredibly bullish on Corey Coleman. I have him as a top 20 dynasty wide receiver because he's still best comparable to Odell Beckham Jr. on playerprofiler.com. It's not Corey Coleman's fault that he wasn't drafted by the Giants, that he was instead drafted by the Browns. He's still one of the most exciting, explosive playmakers at the wide receiver position. We talked about what if you converted wide receiver X to running back if you converted Corey Coleman to running back, he would be the most athletic running back in the history of the NFL. But I also want to talk about Terrell Pryor because Terrell Pryor has become this polarizing player. And for me, when I look at Terrell Pryor, I simply see an exciting Dynasty League prospect, a wide receiver that that has the talent profile to be a perennial WR1 in fantasy. And at 27 years old, he's still holding on to a couple prime years. He runs a 4-4-1 at 6-4-233. That's a 128.3 99th percentile height adjusted speed score. And I understand Tommy Streeter has a great speed score, and there are a bunch of big, tall wide receivers with great speed scores who can't play, but Terrell Pryor proved this year that he can play. And we have a metric that factors out quarterback play, target premium, looking at how did Terrell Pryor perform on a per-target basis compared to the other receivers in the Browns passing game, plus 5.3 target premium for Terrell Pryor was top 40 in the NFL. And he only posted a 1.6% drop rate, 1.6% drop rate, two drops all year, and yet new to the position. He was brand new to the position and yet was a stalwart wide receiver posting a snap share over 90% on the season. So he played over 90% of the snaps, only two drops. And this was his first year playing the position. That's exceptional. That's someone who I will allow my imagination to run wild on. And yet, that's not what Brian Hartline's doing. Brian Hartline instead is somehow ravaged with jealousy that Terrell Pryor is going to parlay a relatively productive season into a big contract. Why does Brian Hartline begrudge Terrell Pryor having career success? Brian Hartline said, quote, if I'm building a team, what is Terrell Pryor? Is he my number one? God, I hope not, because let's put it this way. For me, I want a guy day in and day out that I know what I'm getting from. You don't know what you're going to get from Terrell Pryor. 
You don't know who's going to show up. You don't know if he's going to get in trouble. You don't know if he's going to smart off. Smart off? Who the fuck says smart off in 2016? White people do. White people say that. (laughs) Yeah, in 1955, Heartline goes on. I need stability. That's so much more important to me. I need a guy that runs routes. I need stability. He's repeating himself. I need constant production, like you got from Brian Hartline at the NFL level. Yeah. I need constant production. He's a number two? Maybe. Okay. He kind of disappeared the last couple weeks, as if all receivers haven't underperformed for two consecutive weeks. Okay. Hartline continues. So I'm very apprehensive as a Cleveland Browns guy to give out a contract. Well, you don't give out the contracts. You don't work for the Cleveland Browns, Brian. Hartline goes on. Listen, you had one year. You're a flash in the pan. You're trying to tell me with a guy that had suspect personality characteristics, I'm going to go ahead and hand you a bunch of money. You don't work for the Browns, Brian. Stop saying you're going to give him money. You don't work for the Browns. Why are you putting yourself in the position where you're paying him? He goes on. Brian Hartline will not shut up. I'm going to go ahead and hand you a bunch of money and you're going to work harder? Uh, mm, I think I'm going to bet against that if I'm a betting man. Fuck you, Brian Hartline. I will fight you. Come down and see me right now. I am at Buffalo Wild Wings. The the Packers themselves became Devontae Adams truthers. Or as I like to call them, the nuts and bolts. I am at Buffalo Wild Wings. Competition is rolling down the tracks and has arrived at the station. That competition is called playerprofiler.com. I am at Buffalo Wild Wings. With Pryor, I'm not buying him as a dynasty asset at all. People were talking about a month ago. I'm going to put this in the outtakes. Okay, sure. People were talking about a month ago, him as a top 48 startup pick. And I, I don't I don't get that at all. Like, I mean, I understand, you know, breakout, the first year's wide receiver in the NFL level. The fact that, you know, he's pretty much disappeared when he, he was the only show in town when he was scoring his points. And now Corey Coleman shows up back from injury and he really hasn't done much. If you're trying to buy prior as a safe top 50 dynasty asset, you are going to be disappointed. The Chargers even have a tight end on the team. Milf Hunter Henry. I am at Buffalo Wild Wings. Oh, and then the premise is, I'm just calling you randomly, and you're picking up, and you're just going to tell us where you are. So, like, like the batting cages or something? How dumb is that? Who thinks that's a good idea? Tone, I don't know. I, no, who thinks that's a good idea? Some people have you're a, a sense you're of a, I don't want you on my team. They nailed it all different ways. Prescient prediction. Ty Montgomery would be better as a running back than he would be as a wide receiver at the NFL level. Congratulations, DraftKings. You're now one for a million. I am at Buffalo Wild Wings.
We shouldn't be surprised that an employee of the Han Diego Dischargers was fondling himself. White people do. White people say that. Shut up! I'm going to put this in the outtakes. Okay, sure. I am at Buffalo Wild Wings. White people do. White people say that.